Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. We are back on schedule uploading uh, new episodes on Monday. Life's been real hectic for me lately, but finally I, I think things are calming down a little bit. Uh, at least for now. So uh, we're back on schedule. And today I'm looking forward to our podcast. The topic is fundamentalism. That's a subject that's near and dear to my heart as I grew up in a fundamental independent Baptist church, as did some of you. I know uh, listeners, I know you personally. It's, it's an interesting topic to, to discuss the pros and cons of that, because I'm not completely against fundamentalism, though I've, I've no doubt left that movement, but the problem is fundamentalism is, is, is one of those those terms that just means different things to different people, uh, and we'll talk about that here on the podcast. And joining me today is Pastor Josh Tice of the Southern Hills Baptist Church out in Las Vegas. Josh and I went to the same fundamentalist college together, and uh, he's got a really a, a good perspective on this. He's written two blog pieces that inspired me to have him on the program and talk about this topic, and I'll, and I'll share a link to those on the website and uh, talk about that a little bit after the interview. This will be a two-part interview because we just kept talking and talking and talking. So anyway, uh, today we're going to be talking about our first two segments, defining what fundamentalism is, and then talking about some of the scriptures concerning the topics surrounding fundamentalism. So without any further ado, uh, this is Pastor Joshua Tice. Hey, Kevin, I'm glad to be here today. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thanks for coming. And before we start talking about our topic today, tell us a little bit about your podcast, the Bible Talks podcast. Okay, so the Bible Talks is a podcast that I do with my wife. It's just a fun relaxed uh, discussion of the Bible. So we are going strategically through the 10 doctrines of the Bible, theology and Christology and pneumatology and, and all of these, but we really only do that about once every other episode. The other ones are just talking about the Bible. So sometimes we'll do Bible Would You Rathers, sometimes we'll do Bible Novelties, We'll talk about specific concepts that we've been studying. And really, it's a, it's a, we t- call it a podcast for people who like theology but don't consider themselves deep theologians. So it's really a podcast focused for lay people uh, in simple ways of explaining core concepts of theology. So that's the one I do with Heather. Then I have a, um, a ministry podcast called The Idea Talks. The Idea Talks is uh, one that, I, that discusses big ideas in life, leadership, and ministry. And um, that one I do with uh, one of the, our leaders in our church and various leaders that I'll interview for that podcast. That one's called The Idea Talks. And we'll have links to that up on our website. Of course, you need to finish off your basic Bible podcasts first before you have permission to check out these other podcasts. So yeah. <laughs> do you feel intimidated being here with the competition or you think we're going to be able to get along today? I hope we'll be able to get along. I have. I'll, I'll send you... Uh, I'll send you angry emails if not. <laughs> well, no, I, I prefer to do my angry trolling in the comment sections of, of, of different websites. So. <clears throat> uh, from from one of your false fake accounts, right? Right, right. Which I'm not okay, going to do right now. But okay, right. <laughs> well, we are uh, we're talking about the issue of fundamentalism, and uh, Josh, you and I yeah. both grew up in in that atmosphere, and uh, you would probably consider would you consider yourself still today a, a fundamentalist? Uh, I would consider myself a historic fundamentalist. 
uh, that's probably normally that's normally the way I answer that question. I'd consider myself a historic fundamentalist. Well, let's get right into it because there is a distinction, and I, I agree with the idea of, of a historic fundamentalist as opposed to what is labeled fundamentalism today, and that is such a a vague term now because everyone's called a fundamentalist. You have uh, yeah. Islamic fundamentalists all the way to Christian fundamentalists, which range anything from somebody who simply has a uh, conservative view of Scripture to all the way to sure. uh, the Westboro Baptist Church. So let's talk sure. about what is historic fundamentalism. Well, in the late 19th century uh, rose modern liberalism, or what was called modernism, in uh, out of the German out of German rationalism, out of the European churches, and into the American uh, into the American mindset of Christianity. So, as a response to that, uh, a group of men from multiple denominations, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptists, stood up and began to proclaim what they called fundamentals. This is the early 20th century movement called fundamentalism. Um, and these men from, as I said, multi-denominations began to pull out specific core concepts they considered to be fundamental to the Christian faith. And if you denied these fundamentals, then you, uh, you were you were not a fundamentalist, you were a modernist, or later they would be referred to as a liberal. And uh, liberalism being that which destroyed many of the mainline denominations uh, was beginning to already wreak its havoc and wreak its effect all over the church in, in the United States, as it was already doing in, in Europe. And so these fundamentalists stood up, uh, guys like Jay Gresham Machen, who is one of my, one of my guys that I've loved, um, and they began to fight against this George Marsden. They began to fight and write specifically against liberalism. And they, they rallied around five fundamentals of the faith. And then they began to express more. What, what else is fundamental to our belief system? Uh, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, and on and on. And uh, so it really was a rallying cry for men to, and churches and pastors to, to say, look, uh, we cannot move off of these fundamental doctrines, these fundamental truths. And so whenever I say I'm a fundamentalist, I, I really relate to that early movement quite a bit. Yeah, and these fundamentals really were fun. – we're talking things like the inspiration of Scripture, the virgin birth, right. the deity of Christ, uh, the, the second coming of Christ. These are things that – Right, the, the, idea, the idea that you can't, you can't be a true uh, Christian if you don't believe in, uh, let's say, uh, the deity of Christ. Okay, so these are these are things that were actually being questioned. The the prime one was the inerrancy of Scripture. Right. There was so much doubt placed upon the Scripture, uh, and and it just grew and blew up through the first uh, few decades of the 20th century. That by the time you get to um, the training of Billy Graham, for example, if you ever read his account mm -hmm. of coming to the point of belief in the inerrancy of Scripture, he had to make a clear decision in his uh, in his training. Am I going to follow what my teachers are saying, or am I going to believe that the Bible is inerrant? And there was a very specific time where he said, no, I believe the Bible is inerrant. I believe it's without error. It's infallible. It is God-breathed, inspired. And, and that was a breaking point for him and for many during that time. And then God began to break toward right. fundamentalism. And that was an absolute needed movement, something that coalesced around the Scripture, something that coalesced, again, around the fundamentals of the faith. But then— Things started to change as things got older, as we move into the 20th century, move into the mid to, to uh, about mid-1900s or so. Things yeah, started mm -hmm. between the 30s and the 50s, I, right. I would think. And, and all of a sudden, a movement that was based on fundamentals, and I think 
not just fundamentals, but the the defense of the fundamentals of the faith and separation from those who would not accept that, uh, se- separation from the modernists, separation from the mainline denominations. But then the fundamentals kind of got pushed to the side, and it, all of a sudden it seems like everything became a fundamental. You have – well, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. How, how do you think that changed? So uh, this would be my viewpoint. Historically, fundamentalists defeated – the modernists. Um, liberalism was defeated by two things, by the crushing weight of its own stupidity. So that's the first aspect. Liberalism can't survive. And the reason liberalism or modernism can't survive is because that we're talking theologically, of course. Right. Who in the world is going to keep going to a church that doesn't teach that Jesus is God? Who in the world is going to continue to go to a church that doesn't believe in the veracity of miracles? Who in the world is going to go to the church on Christmas, and the 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 vicar or the uh, pastor or whoever's up there, the bishop, is going to say, well, Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin, and destroy this concept in the minds of the children. So these churches begin to die off so and and wane uh, powerfully. Now, I don't think I don't think that was just by mistake. I believe by, that was by the divine power of God, of course. But I think that liberalism could not hold itself under the, its own weight, and it just crushed. It, it began to die, so a lot of those churches begin to die off in, in the 40s and the 50s. And uh, you see fundamentalism growing, and I believe to the point of winning. So you don't see great Christian leaders today who are questioning the fundamentals of the faith. The closest thing we, in the 20, late 20th century, early 21st century, the closest thing we got to it was when Rob Bell declared that he believed, not, not just that he doesn't believe in hell, he believed in hell, um, but that he questioned the eternality of hell. And that was the closest, and that wasn't even one of the original fundamentals of the faith. That was the closest thing to modern, uh, to what I considered modernism or theological liberalism creeping into broader Christianity or broader evangelicalism. Um, and the moment he did, man, he was shut down, and the only person who received him was Oprah. So, <laughs> so for me, from my point of view, I would say, no, fundamentalism won. And that's why you see conservative Christian churches all over this, uh, uh, this country. Now, people could question, well, what about the moral state of our, our union and all of that? All of that can be discussed, but, but, but between modernism and fundamentalism or liberalism and fundamentalism, fundamentalism defeated liberalism in the early 20th century. Then the problem is now these people who are used to contending for the faith and fighting for the faith that were getting along on the same side on the battlefield suddenly began to realize, well, the enemy is gone, and we still have these swords. Maybe we need to fight each other. Hmm. And that's when I, be- I believe we begin to see a division of fundamentalists in a major way. It began, obviously, from, from denomination to denomination. It's a whole lot easier for a Presbyterian not to go to a Baptist pulpit and for a Methodist to separate from a Baptist and, and all of this. So you begin to see these natural divisions. But I think what took place really is that people were so used to fighting for the faith and for the fundamentals. Once the fundamentals had already been won, they continued to fight. And suddenly those things which were not fundamental suddenly became fundamental. And so now we're separating over um, secondary theological issues such as eschatological timelines. Where do you put the rapture? And then further from that, once you get into the 70s and 80s, people are separating over not just uh, secondary and tertiary theological issues, now they're separating over methodology. Uh, you use this music, you use that Bible. Um, and now they're at the point 
uh, it got really bad in the 80s and 90s where people would separate over a clothing dress right. uh, or dress uh, standards and these kind of things. So um, we've come a long way. And so the, as I'm giving you a very long answer to your very short question, I think fundamentalism won in the early 20th century. And, and then a group of people kind of hijacked the name fundamentalism and used it for their own purposes. But what you see today is called fundamentalism. I don't think it's historic fundamentalism. I think what you look at today when people refer to as evangelicals, uh, evangelicalism is the fundamentalists of the early 20th century. Well, and you can see how uh, Dr. L. Muller refers to this as theological triage. There are mm. these, these issues we're talking about, whether it's eschatological views or even Bible translations, these are not unimportant issues. They are important. No, 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 not and, in any sense. But, but they're not fundamental to the right, Christian faith. Exactly. So somebody, somebody can be a Christian and put the tribulation um, halfway through or put the rapture halfway through the tribulation. You can still go to heaven and believe in a mid-tribulational rapture, in my opinion. You can still go to heaven and use, use the new King James Version as opposed to the King James Version. I would think that most, most people would agree with that. Now, there are a few extremists who would not. But um, so, so when we say fundamental to Christianity, you, you can't be a Christian and deny the virgin birth. And, and I think that's where we've lost the word fundamentalism. I think that's where we've watered it down so bad. You're not a fundamentalist unless you, you know, agree with, uh, with the style of shoe I wear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 or the color of the carpet in the auditorium or, or whatever yes. it is. And so now you have a fundamentalism that once was uh, at least cohesive around five certain doctrines. And yes. now you have a fundamentalism that is so divided and fractured. You've got different camps here and different camps here and, and whatnot. And I don't want to get into all of that. But, you know, kind of segmenting, segueing to our, our next section about scriptures. Uh, growing up in a, in a fundamentalist church, going to a fundamentalist, in fact, the same fundamentalist college you went to, uh, over and over again, we hear uh, the calls for separation. And, and, of course, in Scripture, certainly, we are to separate. Second Corinthians 6, 17, to, we are commanded to come out yes. from among them and be separate. First John yes. 2, 15, we are not to love this world or the things in the world. But my question for you, and I think we're, we're already in agreement, that isn't necessarily talking about whether uh, which Bible translation you're talking about or which style of music you incorporate into your worship time no i would i would i would completely agree with you i think separation is very clearly defined in scripture that we need to separate um and we need to separate from sin we need to separate from uh from unbelievers uh where they are influencing us now obviously we don't separate from unbelievers to the point where we cannot uh, evangelize them that would be the position of the amish separate so far where we have no impact or evangelistic fervor so we wouldn't want to separate from the unbeliever to that extent, but we do keep a distance in that we have our own lives, we have our own lifestyle, we have our own belief system, right? So we separate from sin, we separate from the unbeliever, we separate from the apostate. And I think this is where much of the confusion comes in. I don't know that we've done well at explaining to our seminary students what is, a, what is an apostate and what is not. So um, social media has revealed this, has it not? Um, you're, you're an apostate if you disagree with... Um, whether or not you believe Jephthah killed his daughter. I believe he did. You don't. You're an apostate. Or I believe he didn't. You believe he did. You're an apostate. Well, an apostate, apostatism is not 
is not the idea that you happen to disagree <laughs> with one view that I have of a biblical concept. Apostasy is denying the faith, which in essence goes back to the original fundamentalists. They're denying the faith. Right. So I think I think uh, I think that's where people have a hard time. They say, "Aren't you supposed to separate from a brother?" Yes, you're supposed to separate from a brother who is an apostate. Uh, somebody who has denied the faith, and that's where that's where the lines get murky for those who aren't sure what is fundamental to the faith is. You know, uh, you say that, and I actually got called out from the pulpit over my view about Jephthah and uh, killing his daughter. That's, <laughs> that's did you really? That's funny. I, I did. Yes, from from the pulpit, my pastor called me out, and uh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I hope I hope all in good fun. Uh, unfortunately not. Um, but oh my word. <laughs> we we have repaired that relationship, and we are still good friends okay. today. Good. But that was good. an interesting experience. Uh, that, that wasn't the norm, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in, in in regards to separation, we also have calls in Scripture, which I I didn't hear in, in many of the fundamentalist churches I was in. There is a call to unity. First uh, Corinthians mm. one and. Uh, John 17 specifically, Christ's high priestly prayer, he prays that yeah, his yeah. believers will be one as the Father and the Son are one. So yeah. let me ask yeah. you, how do, we, how do we promote a spirit of unity yet still respecting the significant differences that we do have across denominational bounds or, uh, or even just within individual churches? Yeah, the, the passage you're referring to is one of my favorites. It's John chapter 17. He, Jesus says, and he's praying in this prayer, neither pray I for these alone. He's talking about his disciples. I'm not just praying for, my, for, for the 12. He's talking to the Father. This is fascinating to me. You're, you're getting to eavesdrop into a conversation among the Trinity. Jesus, the Son, is talking to the Father. <laughs> he tells us, and the Holy Spirit, through inspiration, tells us what, what was said. Right. Um, he says, he says, Father, I, I pray not just for these alone, not for the twelve, but for them which shall believe on me through their word. That is, those who will follow the disciples' word. Now, I love this passage because many of the passage, passages that you express to some people, you say, the Bible talks so much about unity. Sometimes they'll say, well, unity in the local church. We need to be unified. So that, that makes sense, right? A pastor definitely wants his local church to be unified, but it doesn't matter if the Church of God worldwide or the family of God, depending on the terminology, the family of God. It doesn't matter if the family of God is unified. <laughs> That's not true. Jesus is talking not about a local church here. He says that they may be all one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. He's saying the same unity that the Trinity experiences. Imagine the same unity that Trinity experiences is the unity that Jesus is begging the Father that the church of God or, or the family of God, depending on your terminology, would experience. That the world, that, and then he gives a reason, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. He says the way they'll believe, the way they'll know about me is that the church uh, or the believers be unified. The glory which thou gavest me I give unto them, and that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, so he repeats himself, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved me, and thou hast as that thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So to me, I mean, wow. Here Jesus is saying, my prayer is that my people would be unified. So I think we ought to fight for that. Just as the early fundamentalists fought for theology and fought for fundamentals of the faith, I think now we need to use that same fervor that Jude talks about when he says, "Contend for the faith." 
And now we need to contend for the faith. We need to fight for unity. We need to fight. Now, what that means is sometimes when we're spoken ill of, we need to just forgive it. Whenever somebody won't invite you to something, and turn around and invite them. And go out of your way to fight to retain unity so that we can, you know, fulfill the prayer of Christ here in that way. I think, I think that's what it's saying. And that's where we're going to end our interview for today. Again, we're going to air part two of that next week. So next week we'll pick up with dangers to avoid, and we get into quite the conversation there, so you're not going to want to miss that. We'll talk about some practical applications and then throw out some book titles for recommended resources. But until then, I do want to recommend uh, the two blog pieces I referenced earlier, and that's the New Independent Baptists, and that's an article he wrote there on his blog, along with the article on separation, six degrees of separation. So you're going to want to read those two. I'll put those links on the website. But if you want to check out the website, it is joshtice.com. And you can find both of those articles there, the New Independent Baptist and Six Degrees of Separation. So until then, don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.com. And then check us out on Twitter at basicbiblecast. Share us with your friends, all that stuff. Until next time. See you then.